This is episode 34 of the Archerpreneur Now podcast, and I hope all of you tune in closely because our guest today has some really, really cool, interesting stuff to talk about. We're going to get into email marketing and keyword optimization. We're going to talk a little bit about Tupac, and we're going to get into how our guest launched a website when he was just a kid based off Dragon Ball Z and got it up to 10,000 unique visitors a day. For all the show notes, it's artsynow.com forward slash 34. So hang on tight and here we go. Come on, everybody, let me hear that beat. Come on, come on, everybody, let me hear that beat. Here we go now. Who wants to get funky? Who wants to get a little creative out there? What do you want to get a little bit artsy now? Well then get on with your bad self. Fee-fi-fo-fum. Our guest today is beating the hell out of the creative drum, making marketing his slave like a dominatrix, the stone-cold killer of the everyday norm out of Las Vegas, Nevada, Yan Huang. Yan, you are the entrepreneur now. What is happening, my friend? Uh, I'm out here uh, basically... You know, running my business uh, was originally uh, based out of Los Angeles. I'm now in uh, Las Vegas, Hispania, though I have uh, clients on both ends. So I kind of do the whole commute back and forth uh, thing. Yeah, man. Los Angeles to Las Vegas. I'm sure there's a lot of fun in that trip. And Yan is an award-winning creative marketer. His website's awesome. You should definitely check it out. Uh, He's a business consultant, a speaker, the founder of GreyHatWeb.com, which is somewhere in between a Los Angeles and Las Vegas based design and marketing agency. Is that correct? Uh, that, that's, that's correct. Exactly. Yeah. So you're back and forth and he's worked with Inc 500 fortune 500 companies as well as appeared in, I mean, the San Francisco Chronicle, the New York times, Google news, Yahoo news, USA today. He's all over the map. Uh, the list goes on and on. So a ring a ling a ding dong, man. Congratulations on all that. I appreciate it. <laughs> You're a cool dude, man, and he, he takes a spin on um, his personal website about page, which I really like, and that's on yanchenghuang.com. Is that pronounced correctly? Uh, correct. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I will put in the show notes a link to that, wh- where he literally has an entire section about himself personally, uh, away from business, which is a really cool idea, and I might have to steal that from you for one of my personal sites. And he's even got lists of all of his interests and influences and He's got Tupac at the top of his favorite artist, man. So respect on that. Uh, well, thank you. Yeah, feel free to steal it because I stole it from somebody else as well. So you know, <laughs> a, yeah, it's a giving tree. So uh, I'm pumped to have you on, man. And the about section is sort of like an extended version of this little section we usually start this show out called the Breezy Threes, where you mm-hmm. get to share some of your creative influences and your favorite works of art, uh, so we can get to know your creative side a little bit. So you were ready before this thing even began because you have that list compiled. But are, are you ready to kind of share some of that with us right now? Yeah, yeah. As far as uh, creative, um, well, I think one of the biggest 
influencers, um, I had uh, a mentor uh, growing up, uh, and I found him uh, <laughs> through Craigslist looking for internships. Um, and he had, uh, and one of his close friends turned me to uh, this author, Robert Greene, uh, who wrote the 48 Laws of Power and the 33 Strategies of War. And that, at an early age, um, when I was in high school, I think gave me uh, a lot of uh, perspective about the real world. And, uh, and sure enough, all these different power moves and all that, even though it was very subtle, and I don't think people intentionally uh, mean to do it, I was realizing uh, um, when I you know, first started my business that I left every meeting feeling like I was robbed. <laughs> yeah. uh, like on the bad end of the negotiation. And then, so I think that uh, really helped me. Um, a couple of uh, things that I think even before that, that was really inspiring for me was uh, I'm a huge fan of Tupac. I actually have uh, his, uh, the tattoo of his poem, The Rose That Grew From Concrete, tattooed on my arm because- Nice. Um, yeah, in, uh, in uh, specifically middle school uh, and early, first, I think, year of high school, uh, I went through a pretty, uh, yeah, I guess the, you know, the whole grown up thing and, you know, emotionally feel that the world is against you and this and that. Um, so <laughs> his music really yeah, helped me as well as uh, the, the po uh, that poem specifically w was very um, meaningful for me. And also it seems like every interview I've watched from the guy made a whole lot of sense. So uh, I think he definitely had a huge influence on me um, uh, uh, growing up. Yeah, man, he was a legend. So does that make you an original gangster because you have the tattoo? Absolutely not. Uh, <laughs> um, I, you know, the, the the crazy thing is, I think um, back, you know what, this is a side story. I'm probably going to, you know, just give the you know, short of it. But I, I realized that, you know, usually um, if you're driving through, especially a poor neighborhood, uh, blasting Tupac music, it's not a very good look. Um, <laughs> you're going to get attention. Uh, uh, and that's something that I just kind of realized firsthand. Uh, so I, I don't, you know, claim to be a gangster or anything crazy like that. I'm just trying to do me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I was just kidding, man. And uh, he, he's definitely a legend, and he's he's greatly missed across the United States. And I know that I grew up listening to him just as much, and we're probably somewhere near the same age. So um, it, he was a huge influence to me as well. So yeah. <laughs> do, you have, do you have any other favorite creative works, like favorite books? Uh, music other than that or or arts in any way that you found influence from um i uh one of the artists that i i really uh, like um uh you know grow up and even now was christina aguilera's um work mm -hmm. uh something about her voice and what she says is just so powerful as far as, and I mean, I think a lot of her songs are not completely relevant to me, but I kind of, when I listen to music, I kind of just, you know, <laughs> make it so it's somewhat relevant, um, you know, to me. And I think a lot of the theme of her music was really, um, you know, getting out of, of a certain struggle. And I think that's also a similar thread of Tupac's music. Um, but with Christina Aguilera, I think also added the, just the, uh, incredibleness of her voice, um, yeah, was really, uh, that was inspiring for me, uh, growing up as well. Um, uh, and in the recent, uh, years, uh, I really started liking the band Rise Against, uh, their work has, uh, kind of, uh, gotten me to 
really think outside of the box. Um, two of my favorite songs is uh, Give It All and Drones. Um, and I think that the, but I think that the, the thread with all of, uh, you know, all of these artists is really, you know, the underdog and as well as just thinking outside of the box. I know that's very in the box um, <laughs> metaphor, <laughs> but um, I think that is definitely something that, uh, yeah, has hit a chord with me just because, you know, coming here with my parents, uh, it's kind of the, the cliche story of the Chinese immigrant family and, and so forth. So a lot of, of the stories where it's the underdog, um, you know, getting out of that situation, it, it, it uh, resonates with me. Yeah, and I had a couple previous guests that came from Russia, and they, they said the exact same thing, so that's awesome. And I recently, uh, last weekend, actually got to see you rise against. They were here in Louisville, Kentucky. Oh, um, nice. So that's the band. If I get this right, I'm not too familiar with them, but did, did the lead singer have a sex change? No, no, no. The lead singer did not have a sex change. Uh, <laughs> or at least uh, not that I know of. I could, uh, I could be wrong about this. But I could have sworn that Rise Against was the band that was at the festival. So, um, um no, I, I I'll look that up. I'm pretty sure like he didn't have a sex change. Uh, I got it wrong. It's it's the band Against Me. <laughs> ah, okay. There's Against in there. <laughs> well, I was fifty fifty on the word choice there. So, <laughs> okay. Uh, but anyways, you want to take a minute to tell us about. I'm, I want to. I might have to go back and edit that out, but just for the comedy, I think we're going to leave it in, man. <laughs> okay. Can Can you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and sort of your background and and the turning point of how you ended up starting your own company after working uh, for and with so many marketing uh, projects and companies before then? Yeah, absolutely. So the, it, it all first started when I was uh, nine years old. I had a teacher. His name was Mr. Batman, which was why also I was ne- never able to <laughs> uh, you know, find the guy uh, again to just even thank him. Uh, but he was very uh, technical and he kind of uh, imposed his, uh, I guess, you know, tech geekness on all of his students. And I was uh, among one of them. Um, so at nine years old, fourth grade, he made us uh, code a website in HTML. Um, it was incredibly difficult, <laughs> uh, and I really did, had no idea what I was doing. But that kind of, I saw kind of like, here's the code, and then here's the result of that. And so I was, even as, even though it was difficult, as I was doing that, it was really fascinating to me. And after the project, I kind of left it alone. I mean, I made a, like a, a two-page Pokemon website. <laughs> um, and then the next summer, I saw this uh, kid who was one of those prodigy, prodigy kids. Uh, he skipped two grade levels, which is crazy. Um, so he was two years younger than me, and he was uh, co- uh, coding a, a full website in HTML uh, with animated GIFs of these Pokemons like moving around. And I was like... Like, holy crap, that's super cool. Uh, I was like, how are you doing that? And then so he showed me a little more. And then so I kind of got back into it. And then uh, it wasn't really, you know, and I think by that time, I was I started watching this show called Dragon Ball Z. Um, and I created a, a Dragon Ball Z uh, fan site. 
uh, off of some subdomain from some free web host because at the time I have no money nor did I really understand what domain was. <laughs> um, and, and so I built this website and I was you know, looking for ways to gain more traffic. Uh, and then so that kind of started off my whole um, uh, process of learning how to build websites and driving traffic to websites. And uh, yeah, I had no idea that was marketing at, at the time. Um, I just had a website with a lot of people going on, you know, on there. Uh, so that was kind of how I got my uh, early uh, start in, in that whole thing. And then so the website, um, I worked on it for, I think, like five years and and. And one of the key points, uh, or turning points that really, um, I think, gave me some perspective was Funimation, which is the company that owns the, the U.S. license for the show, contacted me and asked me, Dad, want exclusive DVDs? Uh, so I was like, uh, absolutely. <laughs> um, so they started sending me this stuff. And I realized, hey, you know what? None of the other fan sites, because, you know, five years in, like, I knew, like, literally, uh, yeah, SAS, this sounds like <laughs> every Dragon Ball Z website uh, that was out there at the time. Uh, and no one else had this information. So I was like, oh, my God. Like, I think I'm the only one that's receiving this. Uh, so uh, once I started posting the, basically, you know, summaries of the shows before it even aired, um, it, my, the traffic, uh, as highest point was around 10,000 unique visitors. Now this wasn't hits or views. This is unique visitors per oh, yeah. day was, uh, insane. And I, I, 10, that, did you say 10,000? Correct. Wow. Unique. Um, so, and how, and how but, old were you at uh, five years later? How old were you at that the, point? I think this is my last top, my last sophomore year of uh sophomore junior year of high school this is like towards the very end of of that uh, of the site yeah um, cool man and so you know once i start seeing that and also the process of building because at that time that was probably maybe like the 10th iteration of my website um because every, you know i always want to you know keep it uh new and and whatnot with the latest um uh you know a software available uh, but throughout that process, my website got hacked multiple, multiple times. I had to uh, go out and scout like these guys that own small hosting companies that willing to host me for free, uh, and uh, also like figure out how to do all the programming. Because after it got hacked, I realized those free scripts. This is like way before WordPress even existed. But uh, basically, you have a, this PHP script um, that will manage your news section. I think there's one called Fusion News back in the days. Yeah, um, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I uh, uh, I think um, I was the, the one of the early <laughs> early adopters, and then I, I stopped once my site got hacked. Um, and then so after that, then when I, I think after the second or third time my site got hacked, I then learned how to connect to the a MySQL database through the PHP, and that was extremely difficult for me at the time because the tutorials and the just resources available. Uh, it, it was really just the geeks that understood it, and usually when the geeks try to explain it in on message boards, it's not always the most um, <laughs> easiest to comprehend. Yeah, the back end developing is never the most interesting either. No, yeah, I remember there was this uh, image galleries a script called Image Folio. Took me four months before I installed it or figured out how to to install, wow, like yeah. actively, like not just you know like let me mess with it for a day and then you know come back next month. It was like me actively trying to figure it out um, because I was like manually like you know creating these galleries using HTML and it was like incredibly time uh, uh, draining. Um, 
but so all of that really, I think, built the foundation for um, uh, for my technical visual as far as graphic because uh, you also like designed the sites you know myself uh it gave me a, a pretty good fundamental understanding of of hosting uh i'm not sure you're familiar with the image host uh, image shack.us yes uh well in the earlier days this is i think the first year they they actually launched they banned me and wrote me a nice e- uh, email telling me that my site was too big and that's why <laughs> i can no longer host images through them uh, that's awesome, man. You should have like a trophy on your desk. That's, that's, <laughs> that's hilarious. I, I used to use them back in the day as well. Cause like you, when I was younger, I built my first website around, you know, 10 or 11 years old. And it was just an image sharing site, uh, where basically I just put a bunch of stupid images that were running around whatever I was using back then to, to connect like AOL.com or something. And, uh, oh, yeah. yeah I, I remember. remember using all that stuff. So that, that's funny. You must've had a monstrous site. Uh, yeah, it, I think at its peak, I have, uh, had, I would like, I, I mean, I might be misquoting now. I mean, if I look back, but I, I like to think it's around 5,000 images, which, you which know, doesn't back sound then, like, yeah, back then was yeah. a big deal though. Yeah. And the bandwidth was really, because my host told me to go to image shack because he didn't want to deal with the bandwidth issues. So he <laughs> said, just, yeah, hotlay all your images from there and, you know, I'll host your pages. But, uh, he basically gave, like, gave it to me straight that, uh, since I would, you know, like he's not making any money off it. I'm like, he's actually paying, you know, to help me. So, um, so that, that gave me a pretty strong foundation with that. And then also at the same time, uh, when my site got big, I had these guys, uh, and I think they were probably in there maybe like later teen years, maybe uh, probably not even like, yeah, I think they were probably just around like 18, 19 or like 17, but they um, were selling these uh, shoes, um, like Jordans and stuff like that. And I was uh, building them like an e-commerce website. At the time, I had no idea that was even the, what the term was. Uh, <laughs> it was basically uh, build them a site and slap some PayPal buttons on it. Uh, and in, in retrospect, all those guys were selling fake shoes because they were like <laughs> like forty nine dollars for like a new pair. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, but I, I had no idea that you know like so basically they were like gave, you know paying me um, uh, small amounts. I'm. I, mean, I think like average guy was like would for a full site it was like 150 dollars uh to hook everything up for them um but at the time it was like my freshman sophomore year of high school so i was like this is great um actually before then um i think middle school i got a couple gigs where people guys wanted me to design like the banners uh for them uh so did a bunch of of, of that kind of of uh freelance work uh and then once i turned 16 i started applying for internships and basically projects anything i could get my hands on so by the time between uh 16 to 18 i would say between all the different projects that i i worked on it, it was you know around maybe like 25 um different you know companies that i've worked with uh and they ranged from creative agencies uh, like advertising agencies uh, to web design agencies, um, uh, web de- development, uh, like programming um, guys, uh, and uh, three web hosting companies. So, you know, through that range, I was able to just, you know, get a whole lot of just knowledge um, from each of those jobs that I worked. Um, and I tried to, you know, ask as many questions as I was possibly able to without, <laughs> you know, stepping over. Um, you know, uh, my, uh, yeah, the, 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 I guess, you know, 
job that, that I had. Uh, and after I was 18, I registered for an LLC. Um, and I decided I want to start my own business because for all of those companies that I worked with, I noticed there were a lot of flaws that I would have done differently um, myself. So I decided, hey, you know what? I'm going to start my own business. So for the first year and a half, I really had no idea what I was doing. Didn't know, really understand how to market like a service or anything like that. Uh, and I ended up uh, printing out these uh, papers with the uh, uh, tear off phone numbers on the bottom. And I went around the city and sticking those up uh, for miles at a time. Um, and at the time I was advertising, building a website for $30 and hosting for $10 a month because I wanted to build up a, a hosting, uh, yeah, a foundation for people paying me monthly. And you were eight and you were 18 at this time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Cool. So you, so you went straight after the monthly, the reoccurring revenue. Yeah. I, uh, uh be, and also at the time for a reason, I was reading a whole lot of these, um, on, like online articles about the whole residual income, this and that. So it all sounded really good to me. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the only problem I think after a while was I realized because people were paying $30 for a website, the commitment to the $10 a month wasn't a whole lot. So, uh, uh, so a lot of those guys, um, end up not paying, uh, after like the third month. <laughs> um, and then slowly I, I shifted the, the model, uh, and, and started charging, um, you know, based on the work. And then if they wanted hosting, I can you know, host their site. Yeah. That's, uh, that's pretty much what I did, but. Uh, I was gonna say, man, you're selling yourself short, selling them for thirty bucks. Um, well, at the time, I, like I said, I just wanted to really build up the residual base. So, I mean, with certain days I had like three like customers come in, and I would just knock them out with a site builder website. Mm. Uh, so, but yeah, at the time, I, I really like what it was all kind of me experimenting, seeing where things are. Uh, so, uh, yeah, just to give you an idea now, so websites were now range from um, 2,500 to four or 5,000. So, you know, since then it's, it's, uh, um, definitely not building $30 websites anymore. Yeah. And thank God for WordPress, man. Yeah. Um, WordPress has, you know, the crazy thing is coming from, uh, originally with the notion that only the new section, um, that you built would code the site HTML and then the section that requires editing, you would just insert a code there. The whole WordPress almost seems like the complete inverse of that where, um, you know, the, the, the CMS isn't something that you just plug in, but it's the whole framework. So that was kind of interesting to me when it first came out. Um, I, I think these days it's, it's so standardized that no one really thinks about it, but it, it was something that when it first came out, I was like, yeah, it, was, it was definitely backwards. And it still gets to me sometimes when looking at it, how amazing it was when they had to have thought that process out when they created it. Um, but you know, do you, do you ever get into making WordPress themes or any of that? Um, not themes in the sense of, you know, selling it uh, and commercializing it that way. Uh, but all the websites that we built for our clients are custom um, design, and you know, the the yeah. You know, so each client is basically the 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 design is a, is a custom theme for every yeah. single client. Yeah, very cool, man. I had a uh, previous guest on named Josh Earl, and mm -hmm. he he's an author and a programmer he had a very unique story that happened to him right after I had interviewed him on this show 
where he basically got a viral response to a giveaway he was doing in order to grow his email list so that he could market you know his books and his his products and he, he mm-hmm. wrote a book on Sublime Text, which is a text editor. I'm not sure if you're, you're familiar with it or not. And he decided to use WordPress plugin for it called King Sumo to do a giveaway for a license of this particular program, Sublime Text. And mm-hmm. with some tactics in place, including I think he did a little promoting through some contacts he had with pretty large Twitter followings. He gave his giveaway went viral, man. And he spent you know, a total of $270 on this giveaway, somewhere around that area, which was the cost of the license and the plug-in. And last I heard, he had collected over 300,000 email addresses from this one giveaway. Oh, wow. Yeah. And you know how, mu- how much value that is being a marketing yeah. standpoint. I mean, that is like setting you... That's like hitting the lottery. So <laughs> uh, I, know, I know that's not normal result because, you know... It's just not. It's a viral thing, and those things do happen. And yeah. Paul actually, you know, Paul the app guy, uh, who we got in touch through, he he actually ran a similar uh, a similar contest or a giveaway, and he only collected about 113 email addresses, which is somewhat still of a success to me. I mean, that's yeah. still a lot of email addresses for doing one giveaway. I'd be completely fine with that. But I totally see the techniques and the strategy behind the marketing uh, through social media promotion and giveaways and things like that. H- have you ever messed around with this at all in your endeavors, or ha- what are you? How, what have your experiences been with trying to expand your email list? Um, as far as with the uh, email list, um, there, there's you know there's there's ways of aggregating emails as just you know that probably you know wouldn't work for most people, um, but I think as far as my experience with uh, dealing with, uh, um, uh, you know, clients, um, the, the cost per email acquisition sometimes can be pretty expensive. Um, and usually running um, small contests or, or the first person to, uh, you know, to um, you know, either enter in the email and we'll give you a percent off. Usually more, it's more of stuff like that rather than a contest, which, uh, it sounds interesting. I just haven't, uh, you know, tried that approach. But usually, uh, we we do a lot of hey, hey entering your email address and redeem this instant coupon. Yeah, and actually, that's so. I mean, that's basically what it was. The King Sumo app allows you to, you just host this form on your server. Someone gets on and puts their email address in. They get entered, and they can share it on social media. And every time they share it on social media, they get entered again, depending on how many people came from uh-huh. their social media link. So it's kind of like a, a virally spread thing, and they're yeah. not. It's not like they're having. I, I used the word contest earlier on accident, but it's really just a giveaway with uh, okay. social sharing. Okay. Um, yeah, we also uh, have. Uh, I, I've also worked with clients implementing um, uh, fan gates, uh, where instead of entering their email address, they would then just like the page, and then once they like the page, then you open up, uh, and you know they can then uh, get access to the the, the coupon. Um, so I think that's good for, you know, gaining traction on as far as social media. Yeah. So, so usually with the business that, uh, that, that I work with, um, uh, a lot of them are more of retail e-commerce as well as some of them are just, you know, straight up brick and mortar businesses. Uh, usually 
with those email marketing is really effective, but as long as the, the list that they have is solid, I mean, for every time, I would say the average client that we do do send out an email uh, blast to, they'll get at least you know, a couple of orders. Um, and I think that is comes down to building a really strong foundation on your clientele. And usually uh, with um, e-commerce clients, um, you know, the, the strongest email list is really the, the database of you know, customers um, because those have, are already a qualified um, that they're interested in your products. Obviously, they, they purchase. And also, because they purchase, the chances of them rebuying is a lot higher because then, unless you screw them over uh, with their first purchase, uh, they're probably going to you know, reorder if, if the offer is, is uh, good. So Yeah, there's a huge trust that you build there. And those are the type of audiences that you want in your email list. Yeah. And one of the things that working with, uh, uh, with businesses is a lot of them do like, have some kind of MailChimp or constant contact account. Um, but they either do not send out you know, emails regularly where they'll only send maybe something out on 4th of July or you know, New Year's, which I think um, then they're just not utilizing. Yeah, their, that's uh, a big mistake. Yeah. Um, and the other is some of them um, uh, I've noticed because especially prior to right now, I think WooCommerce is, is, is one of the, the more popular uh, e-commerce software as, as well as like Shopify, BigCommerce and, and those. But um, for a while, uh, Magento really was the, uh, was, the, was the big one. And I think a lot of uh, clients at the time were just using their default server to send out emails. So we did um, a bunch of QA for, for I think like a good, maybe like um, two handful of clients um, where the issue was really that their email campaigns were just going to spam. So we had to, um, for, for a couple of them, we were able to solve the issue by, um, by setting up this thing called SPF record and, and DKIM record. Um, which basically just you know, verifies that the the uh, because it's being sent out from the servers send mail um, you know it it just wasn't it, it was being received as as it's not the you know from the authentic source so that worked for a couple of the clients and then for the other ones we just migrated them over to uh, to Mailchimp and uh, since the the problem to begin with was the fact that they were going to spam uh, I mean that automatically like like they're you know um, got got their, uh, the, the, you know, sales from the email marketing back up. Um, so that though, I think the, that is, is still, you know, a, a pretty common, um, issue where people are just using their server or their web hosting, hosting company's default, um, email sending service. And, and yeah, as a result of that, sometimes emails just get you know, flagged to spam. Yeah. Um, do you, which one do you prefer to use? Which one do you think works the best? Um, I prefer Mailchimp uh, mainly because they have, uh, as far as the uh, you know getting the emails getting delivered properly, uh, I think all the major ones are for the most part very similar as far as their you know, inbox rate. Uh, but Mailchimp has uh, a very unique thing to their templating system, so you can create very dynamic uh, newsletter templates using that. So let's say that you. Um, you know, so I, I call them master templates. Basically, you can code a template with all these different uh, like uh, sections to it. So maybe uh, on the top will be a big image, and then on the bottom will be maybe three 
beatboxes with the latest news and then you got like maybe you know five products and and so forth but you want to for every email you send out you want to you know really vary that so with mailchimp system you can actually hide some of those sections depending on what you know for every single um email blast as well as replicates uh, those sections. So if the template is coded with maybe five products on there, but you want to feature 10 products, for example, you can just replicate that section. So uh, their template system is extremely powerful and it's it's basically a content management system for uh, you every single time you need to send out a, um, a campaign. So that's why I like it be just because of that super powerful feature that they have. Um, yeah, it's awesome, man. It's what I use too. And yeah. it's... It's almost unlimited, but I, I've talked to some people that they get to a point where they need something more and they move on to these services that, you know, these other programs that cost, you know, two or $300 a month to use, but it allows them to actually target people at different times through different demographics um, with slightly modified emails and you get more advanced analytics and things like that. But I haven't gotten to that point yet. So MailChimp um, is my baby. Yeah, uh, just for the audience out there that may be at a point where their list is, is again to to that point. Um, I'm not sure if you've heard of the service called Mandrill. I have not. Okay, it's it's by Mailchimp, and basically is just the SMTP service uh, itself. Uh, I think some of them also call them MTAs or Mail Transfer. Uh, I forgot what it stands for, but anyways. Uh, it's uh, spelled like man, uh, M-A-N, and then drill.com. Uh, and it's a, ser- it's a service uh, you know, created by MailChimp. And basically all it does is just delivers it to you. And I think the rate, if you're sending out like a ton of email, like you're paying like 20 cent to 15 or 10 cent per 1,000 emails. So if you do have those massive lists of 500,000, I mean, something like that would work uh, very well for you. Um, and then what you can uh, do is use that in conjunction with a, a uh, either a serv- server-based or desktop-based um, mail delivery service. And one of the ones that uh, I, uh, I use is called Send Blaster Pro. Um, so that's a desktop uh, one that you can install. Um, basically, you set up the campaign through the software, but then for the actual sending out of the email, you connect it to their SMTP uh, service, and then they handle the actual delivery of it. So, uh, because your if you're trying to send it out from your desktop through your ISP, um, it's it's gonna start getting flagged as spam after a couple hundred emails. Um, so, so Send Blaster Pro. Uh, send Blaster. Pro. Okay, yes. cool. I'm gonna put that in the show notes as well, so they can reach that if they need to. Um, okay, and then get to all the information if you just go to www.artsynow.com. Uh, it'll all be there with his episode and everybody else's. Uh, and Yan, you, you've probably messed around with a bunch of keywords and research and SEO and guest blogging, probably social <laughs> media, I'm guessing. And every tactic, every tactic out there to increase the traffic of a website or an internet identity, uh, you've probably messed around with a little bit. H- how important do you think it is to be on all the social media platforms and which ones do you think are the most important to be involved with? Um, I think for, um, depending on what the business is, I mean, a, a good amount of our clients are in fashion, uh, lifestyle brands, entertainment. So with the, you know, with um, those type of clients, Instagram, Instagram, Pinterest are you know, really important. 
um, maybe not so much for entertainment and lifestyle uh, as far as Pinterest goes, but for any kind of fashion uh, boutique out there, Pinterest is it's, it's definitely very key. Um, for myself, I don't use Pinterest uh, much. Uh, I use Instagram, but that's just to share you know, my photos. Uh, for me, I'm still very um, uh, Facebook uh, and um, uh, Twitter heavy, but I, I think the one that's been gaining me the most just traction is really YouTube lately. I, I think my channel just uh, broke, I think, 100,000 channel views, which isn't you know incredible. Uh, nice. Congratulations, man. <laughs> thank you. Um, so I, I think YouTube has definitely led to gaining me uh, a tremendous amount of exposure just as far as, as who I am uh, as, as a, a, a marketer. Uh, and just a, a web guy. Um, yeah. do, do you approach your method to each system differently? I mean, in Gary Vee's Jab, 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 Right Hook book, he talks about the importance of approaching these platforms with different strategies because the psychology of the users uh, and the way they think on each platform is different. You know, if they're on Pinterest, their mind is thinking differently than if they were on Facebook. Have you ever thought about that kind of approach? Because it's extremely interesting. And if you if you read that book, there's all mm -hmm. sorts of stuff in there. It's like, wow. Um, but do, do you do that at all? Uh, yeah. I, I mean, uh, I think for my own personal business, I don't really – I mean, the social media is really <laughs> to get me exposure, uh, um, you know, to, to – uh, but as far as – so for my own business, a lot – most of it is just re, uh, you know, referral uh, base and also SEO, but for uh, I think a lot of of companies uh, that do re you know, rely on social media as a huge part of their business, um, you do have to custom tailor it. And I think some of those programs where you know you can just automatically send to each of these platforms, it, it, it's not the most ideal method. And because, for example, uh, I, I've I've seen this firsthand many times uh, where the Twitter post gets cut off. And because um, the URL is usually inserted to whatever pa blog page or or uh, you know site is appended towards the end, I've seen it where it was it was cut off where you know that the thing that was cut off will otherwise be the URL to their blog, which you know then kind of communicates you didn't really put time into it, and also there's no link to the actual blog itself. So I think that that's for Twitter is one of the big things that people need to be. Um, uh, you know, uh, aware of uh, for for Facebook, I don't recommend using those automated systems uh, either because they have this thing called Edge Rank, which I think they might rename. But basically, if you post it yourself without going through a third party, the um, uh, amount of people that you reach is a lot higher. Um, That's so absolutely true. So you're talking yeah. about third party like a, like a Hootsuite or a Buffer app or something like that? Yeah, exactly. Um, for um, and also the other thing that I see that's I I find kind of you know uh, funny yeah you know, uh, is when I see hashtags on LinkedIn uh, because <laughs> like hashtags don't do anything on LinkedIn. So sometimes when it's um, when they're using those, and actually, I think some of them are not using those automated softwares, but because they are not really that familiar with the social platform, they think that hashtags work across every single social media platform, which is untrue because uh, LinkedIn doesn't won't even recognize 
uh, or link the hashtag. So there's no no point, and uh, it kind of just yeah you know, lo- looks silly and and you know kind of almost takes away from it more than it really uh, adds any value. Um, uh, and also for LinkedIn, one of the things is um, I mean I think this advice for most businesses they don't really rely heavily on LinkedIn. This is just more so for the entrepreneurs out there, maybe the freelancers trying to get more visibility. So you know they can get yeah have some. You know, a uh, headhunter uh, hire them for something. Uh, but their algorithm is extremely primitive. So you can like keyword stuff the heck out of it, which I have, which was how I got found for one of my speaking gigs. <laughs> uh, like literally, if you typed in, um, I think if you were like a third to like, I, I forgot how many degree of connections, basically uh, anyone that was remotely connected to me, if they typed in doctor, lawyer, attorney, uh, anything you can think of, teacher, <laughs> I was the one, my face would show up on the top result. Um, and then uh, uh, a month and a half later, um, LinkedIn sent me a nice email telling me to knock it off. Otherwise, they'll ban me. <laughs> so <laughs> I went in and Clever. Took off. Yeah. Uh, but that, that, you know, but to apply that to a more of a legitimate sense, and I, I was kind of just having fun just seeing, you know, to what extent can I really push the, the boundaries of their search algorithm. Uh, you know, if, if let's say that you were a graphic designer, well, it, you know, add all of your projects, add, you know, all like every single thing that you've done. And then in the descriptions put, uh, I was a graphic designer for this graphic design project uh, using Adobe Illustrator, Adobe, in the, you know, and yeah, just yeah. Uh, list out all these different keywords um, that are relevant. The only reason that I think they got, had a problem with me was because I was like, Put in words like professor, teacher, like basically everything. Um, so <laughs> they didn't like you know, that. Um, That's so funny, man. <laughs> uh, what what else? Uh, as far as uh, I think YouTube is one of the most underutilized um, avenues for businesses. Um, I, I mean, for my YouTube channel, one of my the things that I kind of realized um, as I was you know, learn off this was I relied so much on free resources out there. And that's why like, if, if you do have a chance to check out my YouTube channel, uh, most of the stuff I talk about makes no sense to like 98% of people. Um, it's very technical, just trouble me troubleshooting stuff. Uh, and then once I figure something out, I'll share it. And that's just kind of my way of giving back to the community because, you know, that's the way I learned was just through message boards and, and all this stuff. So it's kind of, and it feels good when someone replies, Hey, thank you so much. I spent hours trying to fix this thing. And then, and then, you know, after they watched you know, one of my videos, you know, they, they were able to solve the problem. Yeah. So, I mean, that's um, a key to building your, your following and your trust though, is to find problems out there that you're having. And if you're going to solve them, you might as well put that out there and say, Hey, this is how I did it. And when you help people, man, that's when they start following you. And that's how you build your network and, and your audience uh, that you can potentially market to all the way down the road. Yeah, I actually got a, a couple of clients. I mean, not a whole lot. It's definitely not a dependable source as far as YouTube. But then, the uh, you know, like I said, the intent of it was, you know, I think about first started, I thought it would have been good to generate leads. But then after realizing who was actually, you know, uh, watching my stuff, which a lot of these are um, kids from uh, Indonesia, Vietnam, uh, East, like Europe, uh, you know, just all over. And these are kids like 13, 14, 16 years old. I mean, you know, I, you know, it, so it's one of those things where, you know, it, I, I realized that the amount that 
I'm giving back to you. I mean, I can almost see them as kind of like me, like when I was at that age, just getting free help and resources from from just whoever was, you know, sharing it. So, it, you know, for me, it, it, it uh, after I think the first couple months, I realized, you know what, let me like use this as a platform to give back to the community because I, I, I'm not like, like I like like help the helping the community, but certain things like I'm not going to wake up on a Sunday morning to hand out, you know, boxes of pizza, you know, <laughs> as community service. Like this is kind of like my form of community service. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and I feel like volunteer to teach classes, but one of the things I realized was, I mean, even though it it's, it's community you know, oriented kind of just voluntary work, but the outreach on that is I'm helping a group of 10 to 20, sometimes you know, I think the bigger class, it was like 30 people, but I just don't feel like that, that really, you know, I, I think if it's all recorded and broadcasted, I mean, instead of just helping a handful of people, I mean, literally there's no upper boundaries of how many people, you know, um, you know, that information can reach and maybe hopefully add some value to them. So that's kind of like one of the really promising things as far as YouTube being an avenue uh, for that, but and I think it feels for certain, good, doesn't it? Like when when you find out someone sends you one of those emails and says, "Hey, thank you." I mean, to to be able to to help somebody out just feels really good. Yeah, it it, it feels really good. Um, and and I think the thing is that um, it the fact that I think you know once I stop something, um, I think one of the things that made really almost like teaching physical classrooms, even though I, I enjoy the process of that. One of the things that kind of just frustrated me about the concept of that is that, so if there's somebody that wants to learn what I am willing to you know, volunteer to teach, but they are in a different physical location or they, because uh, I think a couple of the ones I taught at, you know, they charged, like I didn't get paid, but they, they, they charged like cover charge. So if they're not in the physical location to be able to come to me or they either don't want to pay that fee, I, I, I just feel like it's almost like the fact that they can't access it because of access that information because of those barriers was really unappealing to me. Um, you know, same with certain, I, I mean, I think lynda.com is a wonderful resource, but realistically, uh, you know, not every, you know, I think for people in the first world countries, it, you know, that's working. It's, it's, not it's nothing but for a 14 in um in india or vietnam i mean that's a you know like i think whatever i think it was like 25 a month or something like that that they charge i mean that's not easy um yeah, not and i think that's something that that made me want to really push my youtube channel as a a source of um of uh free you know, um, education, if you're trying to learn these things. And I think um, I, I've been uh, kind of changing the direction a little more where I, I'm uh, going to start kind of teaching HTML and Photoshop, just, you know, where it's more of um, of a broader, let me teach you, as opposed to let me just explain how this problem is solved. So that's kind of where uh, I'm, I'm planning to head as far as the direction of my uh, YouTube channel, uh, just to make it a, a very... Um, a free avenue for anyone who wants to learn those things to be able to without any uh, you know, financial hurdles that otherwise would, would be an issue for them. Oh man, that, that's so awesome of you to do that. And everybody out there that is thinking about you know learning some Photoshop or learning some HTML, uh, definitely get on his YouTube channel. I'll post it in the show notes. And you know this is the same kind of following 
that, that these people that are watching your videos are the same ones that later down the road, if you decide to write a book or something, you know, they're going to be the ones that are purchasing this book from you. And they're going to have that trust in you from all those amazing videos that you put out and all that content that you put out for free. So that's fantastic, man. We're running pretty late on time here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to have to get into some of these closing questions. Okay. Uh, and you've got so much value to provide and I know we could talk forever here. So maybe we can get you on in the future again. Um, but if, if you could spend one hour creating something with anybody from the past or present, who would it be and what would you create? So not bounded by time or whoever I can talk to, right? Yeah, not bounded by time. That's fine. Okay. Uh, I mean, honestly, if, if I could like uh, collaborate anything with Tupac, that would be phenomenal as far as if, if, if we're talking about like just anyone – because uh, the guy just everything that he was doing, even from not just the music, but just the social movement that he had. I mean, everything sounds so good as far as I, I mean, I, I think like I'm as far as my personality, I, I really love seeing just, you know, progress as far as you know, where society is headed towards where um, just you know, more barriers are being taken down and people are able to to be themselves uh, and really have uh free access as well as uh, fair or whatever. Um, so I, I would probably like creatively want to be involved in some kind of social movement like that. I mean, and, but I, I know that might take a lot longer than an hour. But, so uh, would you, would you like to uh, create a, and spit on an album with them as well? Maybe spit some. Rhymes? Oh man, that would be great. If I can learn <laughs> how to rap on beat, which I'm terrible uh, with, with uh, uh, my friends call me, tone death <laughs> uh, uh that, that would be phenomenal i i would like yeah yeah and you know i love your attitude towards the bigger movement and i know if you look at your about page you've got that third paragraph called meet you know uh meet the real yan and uh, it's all about your conscious effort towards the pursuit of dimensional knowledge or as you call it, the real world and your goal to tangibly share this knowledge with the rest of the world. And I totally understand what you're talking about here. And I have so, so much respect for your outlook on that. Uh, But for our listeners who may not understand that and they haven't read the whole paragraph, can you expand upon that just a little bit in a a short summary since we're kind of short on time Um, really about your overall mission to create the value, to create and bring value to the lives of others? Yeah. Absolutely. I think um, one of the things that uh, I realized is that traditional education, you know, going through a good, you know, uh, school system, high school, going to a good college, that that's great uh, for the people that want to do that. But for the people that either can't afford to do that or that don't want to do, do that, I mean, I think there are a lot of other ways to to really gain knowledge. And I think going through a book or even hands-on practice, that's only one that's still pretty linear. I think to really experience life, you have to go out and and you know, really immerse yourself in 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 the world. I mean, and and that's to talk to as many people, whether they're homeless, whether they're they got tons of money, whether they're snobs. I mean, talk to everyone because uh, I think the more people that you talk to, the more um, uh, you will have insight of of their lives, and that will. And all the connections in your head, I think, will eventually. So, if, even if you're doing like you have multiple passions and you love to do them all, I mean, as far as trying to build a business, you do need to stay focused. But as far as what you are passionately, you know, what you care about, like fully, you know, go into that because I think 
everything will come back in, in full circle. So something that you may learn here, which may not even seem to remotely correlate to what you're learning here, will eventually, um, I think, as you're getting deeper and deeper into both of those subjects or areas of, of knowledge, uh, it's all going to come together and you're going to start seeing just connections from one thing to another. So, you know, the, so people, it's interesting. I see people kind of hating on certain celebrities, but uh, I think past a certain point, all of that, you know, celebrity gossip, all of that ties into everything that you're doing. Uh, and also all this technology stuff ties everything into what you're doing. So it doesn't matter what you do. I mean, everything that is existing right now in the world, I mean, it, it's going to be relevant in one form or, or another. Um, so I think it's just to keep a more open mind as far as what you're willing to, to, to learn and, and don't shut anything down just because you feel that it's maybe not um, relevant to you at, at that moment. Beautiful, man. Well put. And I love the message. Yan, if you had to battle Godzilla, how would you use your creativity or talents to defeat that big bastard? Uh, I would start an email, uh, an email blast uh, and hit up all the veterinarians around probably my, my place, ask them for, um, for some uh, tranquilizers and uh, put together a super tranquilizer. <laughs> uh. quick, and, <laughs> quick and straight to the points using your powers. I like it. <laughs> It might take a lot of tranquilizers to take that guy down, though. And probably a lot of visits to a lot of different people that have access to that, but yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how can our listeners find you or get in contact with you? Uh, they can go me th- uh, contact me through, through my blog, yanshenghuang.com, or uh, if you know, they're looking for more web design work or, or you know, hiring, then you know, go to greyhatweb.com. Awesome, man. It's been a blast. I'm so pumped that you came on and... And we're on the show and just killed it. Uh, everybody out there, I hope you got a lot of value out of Yan. And I want you to go out and do a little dance, do a little boogie, check out his YouTube page, check out his website. Um, take his message for granted because it, it is so important to take value in everything that you learn and everything that you can teach everyone else because they all do come back around again. So Yan, thank you so much for being the Archerpreneur now. And always remember to keep it funky. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Entrepreneur Now podcast. For all the show notes and more information, please visit artsynow.com. That's A-R-T-S-Y now.com. Thank you. The music for this podcast was provided by Shaky Feeling out of Ventura, California. For more information, please visit shakyfeeling.com. Keep it funky.